This is episode number five with Kristen Bushnell. Welcome to the I Love Music podcast. My name is Jen Fedor. I started the I Love Music podcast to inspire people who love music, encourage people who work within the industry, and to hear each person's unique story. For this episode, I had the pleasure to interview Kristen Bushnell. She is the Director of Creative Synchronization for Atlas Music Publishing. As a member of the Atlas team, Kristen pitches the roster for sync opportunities in film, television, advertisements, trailers, and video games. She has also been featured as a panelist at the Billboard Film TV Music Conference, ASCAP Expo, and Sync Summit. If you are an artist and want to understand more about the publishing world, this episode is for you. Here is Kristen Bushnell. Welcome everyone to the podcast today. I am here with Kristen Bushnell. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Good. So um, how did you decide to work in the music industry? I started my journey probably thinking I wanted to be a music supervisor. Um, Not really knowing what that meant at the time, but um, maybe when I was about 19 or 20, started really paying attention to the music I heard in shows and films that I really liked. And when I was going to school, I was a cultural anthropology major, so I went to UC Santa Barbara where there was no music business program, which is so popular today. But um, I was a music minor taking classes like music and film and TV, and just I found a real interest in it. And in the summers, I interned with Songs Music Publishing, which was my first job in the industry. I was there for about four years, learned everything, really had just an amazing experience there. And it was Carrie Ann Marshall, who's the head of creative over there, who told me, you know, when I went in there, I was a cocky 19-year-old saying, I want to be Alex Petsavis. She's like, cool, you don't know what that means. So come intern at Songs and learn about the publishing side and how we work with supervisors. And that was way more interesting to me, so. What were some of the very first things you learned about um, publishing from from working from working with her? Um, it was interesting because Songs was a, I mean, it still is an independent publisher, so it was definitely that smaller boutique perspective of publishing, which I have really kept through my career. I've always just liked the feel of that, but um, really hand choosing the artists that you work with because you really believe in them. I think. That was one thing with songs. Their roster was limited in the beginning, and it, as it grew, each signing was really conscious. And and um, you know, it's because they would rather have a quality writer that's versatile than just fill a need by signing, you know, artists that work, but that they don't see a long-term commitment with them. So that's one thing that I've probably carried over to Atlas. How did you just decide, like, oh yeah, I really want to do, like, I really want to be in the music industry? I. I have had music in my life from a very, very young age. I grew up singing in church and playing piano, and in high school I was the leader of our worship band. I was very, I was very musical through elementary school, junior high, high school, all of it. Um, and mainly because my mom uh, was a musician when I was growing up, and still to this day. She's a session singer for oh, awesome. film scores. She basically does wordless choir singing. so. Everything from oh. oh yeah, everything from the the Muse album to World of Warcraft. Anytime there's a giant choir, just like oh, like I have to do that because no one knows what it is. Right. But that's basically what she does. She's a classical soprano, and so she raised me on every type of music. You know, we would always. I remember like driving home from 
going shopping and if, if there was a classical piece on, we'd have to wait in the car until it finished because she was like, you have to finish it. This is the best part. So, <laughs> so I grew up listening yeah. to a lot of music um, and then playing and singing and um, yeah, it just was always something that came naturally to me and I just was really interested in it. I haven't really ever heard of a session like choir like it's an insanely small group of women that do it too like there's definitely new singers all the time coming up but there's this group of women that have been doing this for you know 20 30 years like I met the woman who sang the circle of life and I I saw wow. her and was like you're the voice of my childhood oh my gosh and my mom's like yeah yeah she's a pro <laughs> so it's cool like they get hired for a lot of the same jobs because they're just so great at it that's amazing. That's yeah. so amazing. She just did a session today. She's a working mama. It's great. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Um, do you have any, I mean, besides like the session, uh, do you have any childhood memories of maybe like your first band that you saw or any <laughs> like, yeah, music? Yes. And it, I like, I'm so proud of it. It was Weird Al Yankovic. Nice. Uh, in sixth grade um, <laughs> because a close family friend Basically, the, the dad of my brother's best friend growing up has been Weird Al's bassist since the 80s. So, and Weird Al to this day has the same band. They still tour. They're all, yeah. like, you know. And, I, I mean, I know. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Steve J. Yeah. So, you know Ian yes, J. Yes. So, so, basically, yeah. the J family was the coolest family in Newbury Park, which was, you know, just a small town outside of L.A. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, so they hooked it up, and we went to, the, I think it was like the Ventura County Fair, Weird Al was playing, and we had backstage passes and that was my first concert I ever went to so that's so cool I was really cool <laughs> that's mm -hmm. awesome yeah so for those who don't understand what publishers do can you give a brief overview yeah a, a lot of people don't um I think the average person if you asked what a publisher would do is they would just think you know I always thought it was like copyright protection and you know that it's just boring paperwork yeah. and I, yeah. that's definitely I mean, part of it like copyright protection so when a songwriter signs to a publisher it's their job to protect and you know really make you know the most I don't know how to say not cultivate I don't know um, to represent a writer's work and that also means registering it with the right PROs you know protecting the songwriter if there's copyright issues infringement anything like that it, they're basically your team yeah. Um, doing and then so my portion of that is pitching the music for film and TV. So within a publisher, there's multiple departments. There's A&R that's doing a lot of the signing and the setting up of co-writes and um, sessions and stuff like that. Um, business affairs is actually drafting licenses and agreements, and we all just work together as a giant team. But um, it's kind of the complement to a label. There are two partners that an artist would have. It's a label partnership and a, and a publishing partner. So, um, yeah, we work together, and if an artist has one and not the other, you know, sometimes you find yourself filling that role. Like, if we have a band that doesn't have a label deal, we'll help them distribute their music or get, you know, meetings with managers. We definitely, yeah. that's something yeah. unique of an indie, indie publisher, I would say, but you can find yourself filling roles of, you know, a label if your artist doesn't have that, too. So let's talk about sync. Mm -hmm. um, what are maybe... The, what's like the one-on-one of sync? It um, is such a complex, I mean, the industry has changed so much in the last few years. I think when I first started at songs, I, I remember certain artists were so particular about 
how their music was licensed and whether or not they even wanted their music licensed because you know they were maybe selling out if they were tied to a certain brand yeah. and it was more coming from the perspective of like convincing your artist to license their music mm -hmm. and now it's so competitive and you know one of the few ways an artist can make money in their career these days so now it's a matter of you know as an artist do you go on your own and pitch your music to the supervisors directly or do you join a partner either a pitching company a publisher or a label who yeah. has those existing relationships with the supervisors and that's the thing that I you know I would normally suggest just because that trust and that experience really comes from just repeatedly pitching and doing business with a supervisor and publisher or a label or whoever um, so and I yeah. and you cultivate that like over the years. Oh, it's it's remembering a supervisor's favorite band. It's remembering how they like their music delivered. There's such there's so many details that go into it, which the average songwriter not knowing would send a batch of 500 songs to a supervisor and they would just go, "Whoa, what are you doing?" Like right. it involves yeah. research on the project. What have they previously licensed on that show? Um, what's their budget and, you know, that stuff that a supervisor will send you from the beginning when they send a brief. They'll say, this is the money I have for this. It has to clear within this time frame. They'll request things like, you know, one stop only, meaning that you're the only person they're going to deal with, or, you know, easy clear, depending on the budgets, they might say, we don't want to deal with major labels or major publishers. Yeah. If it's budget wide open, they'll say, pitch your biggest and greatest. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of details that go with it, but a publisher's job or anyone pitching music to the supervisor, their job should be to make the supervisor's job as easy as possible. So providing as much information from the very beginning and knowing what you're going into, you know, knowing what they would be looking for. So that's the kind of gist of sync in general. <laughs> um, what, are, what are you looking for in a song that an artist submits um, for you know, each pitch? If one of my writers sends me a song and thinks that it's pitchable, like, yeah. okay, so this is what's interesting. A lot of times you have writers and managers and people who don't work the day-to-day -day in sync thinking that they know, like, this is perfect for an ad, or they'll say, this has this lyric that's perfect for this. And the problem is nothing is perfect unless yeah. the supervisor or director says so. So we have times where an artist will send me a song, and if they're open to little tweaks that don't really compromise the creativity of the song, that goes a long way. Like case in point, we had a band, uh, one of our bands, Street Joy, that I adore. Um, they were my first signing with Atlas, so I love them very much. Um, <laughs> Near and dear. Oh yes, they have a song that's just so great for sync, particularly ads, and there's a line in it that says something about taking your girl to Disneyland. And I got some feedback from an ad supervisor that if they just removed the Disneyland lyric and changed it slightly to like take you to take you out or take you somewhere else, yeah. it would really open up the possibilities where it could be synced. So delivering that to the writer and getting the feedback of, you know, yeah, that doesn't change the creative integrity of the song, but it just gives it kind of longer legs. That's what's really helpful. So thinking of those things, how do I give my song the best chance at working multiple places? So maybe not calling out a specific name or a, what, you know, a place or a time. It's, you know, really general kind of lyrics. So uh, what is the difference between um, a publisher versus like a music supervisor? So it's interesting, we work together so closely, but a lot of people, and I know myself was included in this early on, 
really think they understand exactly what goes into being a music supervisor or think that it's easy and they're just like making playlists all day and yeah. that's at least what I thought it was or you know early on and the the difference is I mean the music publisher gets to choose the music that's being pitched so I like that side of it because you get to hand pick the bands that you work with and yeah for better or for worse, which a, a pro and con of that is that you might love the stuff you're working with, but you might also have to pitch stuff that you don't love. So there's kind of some funny elements where you'll love when, you're, when your favorite band that you work with gets synced, but then you also have that other catalog that has their, you know, you have to push them and look for opportunities for them that might be a little tougher. Yeah. So that's kind of like pros and cons of publishing is that you get to work, I also love you can work across multiple medias. Mm -hmm. So I get to pitch to trailer houses, ad agencies, film studios, you know, independent supervisors working on a bunch of different stuff. But with that, you have to keep up with every single project they're working on. So this is particularly hard with TV shows because pilots get canceled instantly, you know, shows get picked up, you know, especially with now Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, there's just so much content. Oh yeah. And especially if those shows are being covered by independent supervisors who are working on multiple projects, it's a lot to keep straight. So that's, you know, you have your work cut out for you as a publisher, but you might get to do more and pick bands that you really love. How do you keep it straight? Like, what? Charts. What? <laughs> <laughs> Excel sheets. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, a team effort for sure. Like within Atlas, I have um, a girl in New York who pitches for New York ad agencies and really New York clients in general. So she gets that whole coast to herself. And then uh, in LA, I have... Uh, Rob Levin, who helps me out with sync, and his focus is video games and sports and TV. So I can really rely on him to you know divide and conquer that way. So publishers have a lot to keep up with, but you know it's all worth it when you know that you're doing that extra work to really give them what they want. Yeah. In terms of a supervisor, you know their job is is great because they can pair things creatively and be responsible for these amazing scenes that we see and break bands. You know they they have this amazing uh, opportunity to make a band's career, help them support themselves, but they're also answering to budgets and the director and the producer and the director's 12-year-old daughter who thinks she knows what's cool and overrules the supervisor because she can. Right, like it's insane yeah. the stuff that you hear where you know as a publisher we can clear a song and get it through rounds and rounds and rounds of approvals and the supervisor's on board but then you hear, oh, we, this fell out. We had to swap it in for something else. And it was completely out of the supervisor's hands. So that's the thing that's kind of unpredictable. Even when you think you know, the stars have aligned, something can shift. So yeah. from both perspectives, you just have to try to make each other's jobs easy as possible and get them things quickly and um, get them all the information they need. And yeah, I mean, it's a team effort, but they're just so different. It's picking the music. As from, from like a signing perspective and then picking the music from editing and a, and a creative perspective. So That's cool. Yeah. Um, have you seen any trends recently about like what's being, you know... Like genres? Yeah, genres of... The ad world loves trap music right now. <laughs> it's funny, it's like EDM and trap, you know, like yeah. Diplo is the type of producer who just has a kind of a unique sound that is asked for a lot. They want kind of cutting edge producers mm -hmm. and um, I was joking with our sync team in New York that you can't even predict what 
brand might want for us what you know what a brand might want for their sound anymore like we heard a major laser track in a cheerio spot and it was like about babies and kids and you're just like why are why they pick this but it's a cool song yeah so yeah. it's i think we've moved away from the period where it was just ukuleles and hand claps and haze and hose and now it's like the next thing and the next cool producer and that's at least a trend in advertising that you know it's all new never before synced that's another thing it's like no previous placements so you have to be careful about that but um yeah so what are some components that go into uh, decide deciding whether or not to sign an artist um I think it depends on the company and their priorities and in our case we always try to find the best of each genre. I mean, we are still a small company, we're two years old, so mm -hmm. um, when we find a band that really fills a need either for sync or we think it would do great at radio or there's something, you know, if it's, a, if it's a producer who can write across multiple genres or is really good in one, like we definitely assess each deal individually. Yeah. But speaking strictly from a sync perspective, um, I do pay attention to the things that I see in briefs and things that I'm missing in my catalog. Um, the team is huge as well because you want to know that you know when you get a placement your goal of the placement is to promote the artist as much as you can yeah. so if that artist has some establishment or some sort of like established following or team then they might benefit a little more from someone who's getting started from the very very beginning with no manager no label nothing right so that's not to say that we wouldn't work with an unsigned act that's you know incredible but there is a perk if we land the placement to know that from there the artist team can release it digitally and cross promote mm -hmm. it on social media and it's just that kind of one-two punch that you get with a band that has a team that they like working with that we all work together getting our assets really quickly like the minute i need an instrumental the manager's there to help make it happen like right. stuff like that so that's a big perk i think is just the attitude of the writer their team you know mm -hmm. it's silly but we we kind of like working with good people. Like that sounds funny, but like there are definitely times we've had meetings where we're like, I don't think our personalities are going to click, but you yeah. know, it's a partnership. So you do have to have that sort of, you know, team mentality. That's great. Yeah. So what about instrumentals? Oh um, yes. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think many songwriters don't, not maybe not take seriously, but just don't really think about is that when we're pitching as publishers, you know, when an ad agency sends a brief, sometimes it's for instrumentals only. So if, as a songwriter, you only send your publisher or pitcher or whoever vocal versions, you're basically eliminating the chance of a, a lot of briefs that, yeah. you know, will just want instrumentals. Um, another thing to consider is that a lot of supervisors put in their briefs must include instrumentals. Basically, don't even send unless you have them because the supervisors receiving so much music, if they have to go back to you, it's a waste of their time. And they already right. are on to the next and they have five songs that are already pre-cleared and ready to go. So I think that's really good for songwriters to know just how important they are. Instrumentals and also clean versions, particularly in hip hop. That's yeah. a m major request is like must have cleans. Um, so yeah, just it's the kind of thing, I know it's hard too for songwriters, especially in kind of the A&R world when you're writing with multiple artists and doing a session with a lot of different people, it's hard to get an instrumental, you know, if it's just a demo or something. Right. But knowing that when you get that first finished audio, immediately saying, can I get the instrumental too? Like just knowing that that's a package deal, in sync at least. So important. Yeah, totally. <laughs> How mm -hmm. many times? 
Mm. <laughs> we work with the yeah. Oh we work God. with the bang ups and yes. you know how many times yeah. It's funny we have we send like email blasts to our writers with just like sad kitten memes of just like every time you send us a track without an instrumental like a kitten dies or something we try to like put it in <laughs> we try to put it in ways that people will see like no really like you need to send us instrumentals but this is important yes exactly <laughs> we need this totally really, guys mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. what are a few mistakes you see independent artists make when they approach a publisher or a music supervisor um i would say I mean, they're two different approaches. So publishers, I mean, just don't send CDs. I think that sounds silly, but it's kind of true. I mean, send the easiest format for the publisher to check out your music. So if it's a SoundCloud link, don't send attachments. That's the biggest thing too. And that goes for supervision as well. Yeah. If you send an attachment with music, their inbox gets clogged and then they hate you because of it. So. Streaming links are amazing. Um, I think doing your research in general, so knowing about if it's a publisher, knowing the company that you're you know, looking right. at, what's their vibe. If it's an indie and you wanna you know, get in tons of rooms with top people and maybe that's not the focus of, I don't know, it, like, it's kinda hard to explain. Know, know your company, like know yeah. what, if you're gonna have a team of 10 representing you mm-hmm. or a team of 50, because that's definitely, you know, a different kind of vibe. Um, For supervisors, do your research on the show. That's what's, I constantly hear from supervisors that say, for example, the supervisor of Nashville will need country and folk and then they'll get folders of like EDM and they're just like, this is not what creatively works for the show. So taking that extra step to look at um, websites like TuneFind, what songs have been licensed on previous seasons of the show. Yeah. That saves so much time. Um, also listing clearance information, basically listing as much information that would make the, the supervisor's job easy. So if you say, I own all this 100%, right. one stop, master, publishing, whatever, um, it just it prevents them from having to come back to you. So, yeah. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Who are a few of your favorite artists from the Atlas roster? I might have to say bang ups. Hey! <laughs> Free promotion. <laughs> I mean, I love the bang ups. Yes. Um, I They're great guys. I know. It's funny. We have both legendary catalogs like Van Halen and Al Green and Booker T and the MGs. Mm-hmm. Like there's that legendary stuff that just as a music fan, I'm so excited that I get to pitch. Yeah. Um, we have a JV with Sugar Music in Italy, which allows me to pitch Andrea Bocelli, um, Ennio Morricone, like incredible, like vintage Italian compositions, which are so cool. So that's just an entire catalog of music that I I just love digging into and seeing what we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, For the kind of developing set, I love Alex Vargas. He is someone who, Molly Steele, who's our A&R in New York, she found Alex maybe like a year and a half ago. And he's that kind of untapped treasure in the U.S. where he has a huge following in Europe. Yeah, um, he does. Yeah, he does. He's unsigned to a label in the U.S. though. So we've, you know, he, he gained some notoriety from singing with uh, Above and Beyond. He did a tour with them and an album. Okay. And that was kind of what got him a little bit of buzz. But I feel like it's only a matter of time with this guy. Like, he's one of the most talented singers 
I've heard Atlas or not. Just like yeah. he is like Jeff Buckley reincarnate. Like, and I don't say that lightly. He's incredible. So yeah. Alex Vargas, definitely one of them. Alex I, Winston. When, when, yeah. I, when I went to Europe last year, he mm-hmm. like played the day, like in Copenhagen, like oh the day, like after, like I got, or the day before I got there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I wish I could have seen him. Oh, it's, it's just, yeah. it's great. He's, he's very special. And it's cool to see that as an unsigned artist in the U.S., like I got him a bunch of showcases and the sync community really loves him. So it's this cool thing where I I love that people are responding to him, even if he's not getting a ton of radio play here yet. You know, he's got a lot that he's working on. But yeah, I think Alex Vargas is really great. Dan the Automator is a producer that I was a fan of before Mm -hmm. I joined Atlas. And he's just so versatile and He's that person that when I play him for supervisors, they say, you know, he shaped my taste in hip hop. He taught yeah. me about, you know, sampling and remixing and mashups. And he's just, it's really cool. I love working with Dan. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, how do you discover new music? How do you find the new artists that you're working with? And just where does it come from? Yeah, there's, where does it come there's, from? There's so, <laughs> so many. In the beginning, I was checking Hype Machine daily. Now I feel like I've, I'm not up on it as much, mainly because I'm not signing as much. Um, yeah. I, my focus is really working with our existing catalog now, but just as a music fan, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really cool when we get sent music from managers that we work with often, um, who know how, know our style, know how we work, and just say, you know, I think you guys will like these guys. Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of the music that we're sent from our partners, managers, labels, people that we just know and trust, yeah. A lot of times it's it's great because they know what will, you know, the quality that we're looking for and, and the style. So I would say I mean, word of mouth through people that we work with and then random, random things. Like I swear my Shazam on my phone is just constantly going off. Right. Like just KCRW. Yeah. I'm constantly, I have KCRW on all day, you know, in my car all the time. And I'm always Shazamming stuff that plays, mainly from Garth Trinidad. I love Garth Trinidad. I would marry his voice alone. <laughs> I've been given, yes. having given permission for my fiance to cheat on him with just his voice. <laughs> I, I love this man. He, yeah. Every every show I listen to, it's just he's so good. So yeah, local local news and radio KCRW all the way. Yeah, I love KCRW. I listen to it every day. It's so good. Morning becomes eclectic. So good. The whole the, yeah everything yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll have one of the DJs. Morning with Jen. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. I'll listen. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you love music? How much time do you have? <laughs> um, I love music because of what it can make you feel in an insane way where you weren't expecting to react a certain way. I think my favorite example is a study that I think I learned in one of my classes in college. It was like music and film. And it was kind of a case study of the movie My Dog Skip, yeah, which is the saddest movie ever. And the composer of the film was a speaker in our class and basically told us that the film was like completely done and like, Edit, you know, edited, ready to go. Yeah. And the director was like, I don't like the score. And he brought in another composer who basically did the polar opposite of the existing score. The first score was 
happy and lighthearted and almost like a family film. I mean, it's a family film, right. but it's a sad film. And the new composer came in and said, oh, no, no, and did a heartbreaking strings and emotional. Yeah. And, yeah. and basically, the director was like, that is the movie that I made. So I love that you can have an existing, you know, piece of film or whatever, mm -hmm. and it can be completely manipulated by the music that is set to picture. I mean, right. that movie would not be the same with a no. fun, lighthearted score. Oh, yeah. It just manipulates how we feel things, and I think that's just so cool and really powerful. Do you have any um, favorite composers? Oh, my gosh, Sean Williams. John Williams. Just, yeah. I mean, so much of my youth, I feel like it's just around him. Um, it's, I mean, I kind of have to say Danny Elfman too. Yeah. yeah. I am very much, I, I went to the, the Tim Burton, Danny Elfman mm -hmm. experience at the, it was at the Nokia Theater and I think they're doing it at the Hollywood Bowl. They do it every year. Yeah. But um, just so much of the films that they did together and those scores are just part of my childhood. So. Oh yeah, definitely. Pee Wee's Big Adventure is my favorite movie of all time. I <laughs> my dog is named Pee Wee, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is, when they played that, I may have cried a little, but yeah, those are some good ones. But always, always looking to find new and young composers too that are kind of the next generation of that. And um, yeah, cool. Um, do you ever, um, as a publisher, do you ever set up like song write, like co-writes or how? Um, yeah, rarely, but when I do, I'm really excited when, when they work out. Like I did one with Alex Vargas when he was in LA mm -hmm. with Daniel Heath, who was a writer at songs that I worked with. Yeah. And he is an amazing strings arranger and yeah. he's one of Lana Del Rey's producers. And so he's got this amazing ear and he's that person that can take that song and really add the, the proper production and instrumentation to make it awesome. So right. they did a song together that was beautiful and exactly what I would have hoped that it would be. And it's only because Dan was so good at, at what he does. So there's been a few that I've put together, but it's the, our A&R team is really great at that because they know skill right. sets and you're good at top line, you're good at melody. And I, I don't, I don't, that's not something that I do a lot, but when I do, I'm excited about right. it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, totally. I get yeah. it. But yeah. That's great. The industry has changed over the years. Um, now, how are people maybe less picky or how were they picky before, you know, back in the day to now for sync? I think, so earlier, like I mentioned, it was like, you know, you'd have to convince an artist to even allow their music to be in film and TV or an ad. Um, yeah. I think commercials probably had the biggest stigma because it was like you're selling out to be tied to a brand or something. Um, I know... Working at Songs, we had an interesting experience with a writer who wrote with Owl City that actually wasn't our band, but we just had a writer who co-wrote with him a lot. And um, I remember we were instructed that Owl City would not approve anything that was PG-13 or over. And we had a trailer opportunity that was, you know, a great budget. A, yeah. you know, a 30 second trailer and I think maybe one of the scenes had like teens drinking at a party and I don't even think they were drinking I think they were just like holding red cups Yeah, and they denied the use and that's the thing that I don't know if you can be as picky anymore with something like that Yeah. at the same time there's almost like a different it's not picky but it's it's 
knowing what your writer will want you to pursue and what they want you to stay away from. For example, yeah. if you have a writer who's sober, maybe don't pitch their stuff for an alcohol ad. Yeah. You know, there's stuff that you'll still be sensitive to as a publisher that you won't like proactively chase those, but know if you get a request for it that you need to kind of clear it. A lot of people say that too with anything that's political or, you know, right. yeah. a, a certain brands associated with a certain party. So that that's all stuff that as a publisher you want to do your research and know what your writers like, you know, don't like or what they like. Like if they're a fan of something, it's cool to go to a supervisor and say, hey, my writer is obsessed with your product or yeah. has seen every episode of your show or, you know, that's something that I think supervisors like hearing that you did your research there. Yeah, and that they're fans and just love, love yeah. the brand. It makes it that much more fun. Movie or, yeah, no, that's so great. Totally. You were just at a music supervisors conference this past weekend? Yeah, I... I was really excited. We did the Guild of Music Supervisors conference in LA, and I did a panel about why brands choose bands, which um, was just a cool perspective because we basically had um, an ad person, a publisher, and an artist. And the artist was Lo Fang, and he okay. talked about his big campaign that he was involved in. It was a Chanel spot that Baz Luhrmann directed. Oh, wow. And he, he did a cover of You're the One That I Want from Greece. Okay. And he was, and the whole song was, you know, the video was set to the entire song. He was in the video itself. And it was just interesting to hear his perspective. He's, he's a hilarious, he's an amazingly yeah. creative person, but also kind of kooky. And then he had some funny stories where he told us he'd never even seen Greece before he wrote that cover, or did the Whoa, cover. Really? Yeah, he was like, I just knew it was a popular song from the movie. Yeah. And I was like, that's so crazy. Like, I feel like everyone's seen Grease, but. Yeah. So it was cool to have his perspective. And then um, the ad supervisor was from Mullen Lowe, okay. which actually we worked with on the Super Bowl spot for Acura that featured Van Halen's Running With The Devil. Oh, wow. So we did a kind of a case study of how that came to be, why it mattered, why that song. And it was cool because Van Halen had never commercially licensed that song before. So there were so many factors that went into it. It wasn't just that it was the Super Bowl and there was a big budget and yeah. you know, they wanted a rock song. It was that this car, it was the new NSX that like all car fanatics were waiting for this. It was oh, this wow. big reveal. Uh -huh. And Eddie and Alex Van Halen are, are gearheads. They are okay. such car fans, specifically Formula One racing, which you know, the minute we talked about this car, they were talking about their favorite racers and how uh -huh. one of their favorite drivers was a consultant on the original NSX and blah, blah, blah. It was, it was just so funny to see they had a connection to this car. Right. So we talked about that, played the ad, and people were really interested in the process because, you know, how do you land on one song for a Super Bowl spot for a car? So, yeah. That's, am <laughs> that's amazing. That was a really fun panel to do. I don't have many other panels coming out. I'm headed to Chicago for a trip just to meet with some ad agencies. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, first trip to Chicago, which is going to be fun. That's but, awesome. Um, yeah, done speaking for the year. Although, we occasionally get asked to cover Jen's NYU class. She's our New York chief creative oh, officer. Yeah. Um, last time I was in New York, she, with 24 hours notice, asked me to cover her New York uh, business, music business class that was really fun. Yeah. Um, so who knows, maybe I'll have a surprise teaching gig when I go to New York. You, you never know. know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Anything else you want to add or about the sync world or? It is so much fun. It just It's just so different than it was years ago, but it's when it, when it works, there's nothing better. Like when you 
pitch and pitch and send brief after brief and you just, you know, right. It, it, there's so much trial and error to the point where when it lands, there's just nothing better. And that's kind of what, what publishers thrive on is knowing that it's, you're not going to land everything, but when you do and you really see that perfect tie-in like we had with the Van Halen and Super Bowl ad, it's just, it's like the best thing ever. So it's like the, the best reward. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing cause I didn't know it existed as a job. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, I would just say anyone who is thinking that they want to do supervision only or this or that, and they're very set on what they want to do, intern multiple places, work different places, open your, you know, open your mind with what you might want to do because I did, and I'm now doing exactly what I love, but I never thought I would be doing it. So, yeah. That's so cool. It's fun. It's good. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this interview today. You are so welcome. This was very fun. Yay. Yay. Woo-hoo! Jen's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this has been another episode of the I Love Music podcast with Jen Fedor. Sponsorship is available. Please email me at ilovemusicpodcast at gmail.com. I hope you learned a little bit about publishing. Thanks again to the Bang Ups. Have a great week, everyone. Until next time.